these are his notes. Just kidding. Never mind. My name is Ryan. I'm a guest preacher this morning. I uh, get to work with Jason from time to time. I work at um, the Bellingham campus. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been several years since I've been able to uh, visit you guys for for church on a Sunday. You guys are livelier than I remember. And I saw a two-by-four going down to children's ministry. I might have to... We'll talk about that later. But like I said, my name is Ryan. It's a real pleasure to be here with you um, this weekend. And I want to talk about one of the scriptures that has caused the most disruption in my life. And I want to give that gift to you. And just let God do something special. Would you please pray with me as we, as we get going? God, I thank you so much for this text that we are about to go through. Lord, would you speak? God, would you speak to us directly? Help us to attune to your spirit and just say yes to you. Whatever it is that you would have for us, Lord, whether it's on my script or not, would you just speak to us? We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the 20th year that I have been pursuing Jesus with everything that I have. Uh, I've been in ministry for about 15 years. But before this, I had, a, I had a secret that I wouldn't really feel comfortable sharing, certainly not on stage. And though I was active in church and in ministry, I was in small groups, I was attending church regularly, I, I lived with some Christian guys, I had a problem. And it was this deep de dissatisfaction with not just my life, but my experience with my friends, my church, with just about everything. The first song that we, we sang this morning kind of spoke to that, that I've searched the world, and it just didn't quite, didn't quite fill me. And I was raised in church, and so I didn't wander far. And this is kind of a deep, dark secret, especially if you're actively involved in church, that there's still this, this thing that's missing, this void. And I could tell you what the gospel was. I could tell you that my righteousness was gifted to me by Jesus. And I could tell you that it's not based on works, that it's based on faith. And I had a loving family, parents that loved me, brother and sister. I was still single at the time, but, but that wasn't it. And that's not something that you can really talk about in church, especially if you're active in church. And I wonder if you can relate with that. That there's still something, like I related to, to the Apostle Bono when he said, you know I believe it, but I still haven't found what it is that I'm looking for. And then I heard this text that we're going to go through this morning. And my problem became less broad and vague and way more acute. And the scripture that we're going to go through this morning is, is called the Great Commandment. And, and it says this, Love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart, all of your soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it so much that we have to include it. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, I was raised in church, and in my early 20s, I may, th- th- this scripture may have touched my ears before, but I had never actually heard it. It never actually went down into my heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm sitting in church, and I hear the preacher, and just to alleviate any pressure that you might feel, I don't remember one single word from that sermon. But I absolutely remember the text, and I remember what it did in my heart. And I was so uncomfortable in my chair, because I'd been searching, I'd been looking for something, and God offers to be the bread of life, right? Living water that satisfies. And I'm doing all these things, and I'm still missing it. And then I'm sitting in church that weekend, and it felt like him just pointing his finger at me, loving me, and saying, but you don't love me back, Ryan. You don't love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm sitting in my chair, and I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never experienced that, I envy you and I pity you at the same time. It is wonderfully uncomfortable and a precious gift from God. And he tells me, Ryan, you don't, you don't love me. And I'm trying really hard to not be defensive in that moment, and I say some version of, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I can't finish that conversation today. So the next morning, I woke up, sat down, and said, you're right. I, I don't think I love you. And I thank you for pointing that out to me, and I really do thank you. And I don't quite know how to do this, but I'm going to start saying yes to you differently. That's the question that I would pose to you. How is it that you actually love God? If this is the most important thing in life, how is it that you actually love Him? Do you just try harder? Do you strain? Do you attend church more regularly? Do you cut bigger and more regular checks? Right? Do you pray more? There's this tension that's building. He's telling me that I don't love Him, and I don't exactly know how. And then I found a scripture that really clarified it for me. I was making it way too complicated. Jesus says, if you love me, obey what I command. God's love language is obedience. It's not more complicated than that. Obey what I command. That's actually very helpful, right? He makes this big felt problem more acute, and then he gives me the solution. Just obey me, Ryan. And it's with that pretext that I want to talk about the story, a famous story and a famous interaction in Scripture. This is in Luke chapter 10, where this attorney comes up to Jesus. And I like to picture the attorney with a big study Bible, like two hands way out here, lots of notes. And boom, plops it down in front of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, man, this is a big book. How would you summarize it for me? What's it all about? Jesus, what's the tweet? 
And Jesus turns it right back around on him. This is so like Jesus. He turns it right back around to him. And he says, well, how do you read it, Mr. Attorney? And I see the attorney think about it for a second, look at him in the eye, and he says, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. Two-thirds of the Bible is summed up right there with loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. But the story goes on. The Bible says that the attorney wanted to justify himself. He found himself convicted, and he wanted to justify himself. And he says, well, but who is my neighbor anyway? Who is that person? And that's where Jesus tells one of his most famous parables, which is the Good Samaritan. And that's what we're going to go through this morning, is the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story in response to this question. He says, a Jewish man is walking down a road, and he gets beaten up by robbers. He's beaten, left naked, he's robbed, and the robbers flee. And a priest happens to walk by. He sees the man, and he carries on. And then a Levite, which is a church worker, sees the man bloody on the side of the road, and he carries on. And then a Samaritan, somebody that the Jews didn't particularly like. So this is offensive. Then a Samaritan sees the man bloody on the side of the road, and he stops. Pours wine on the man's wounds, which is like an antiseptic. He pours oil on the man's wounds, which is like a soothing balm. He takes him on his own donkey to an inn, which is like a hospital today. He sets him up, takes care of him. Then he goes to the innkeeper. He says, okay, he's settled. He's in bed. I'm going to pay you for the trouble now. I'm going to even pay a little in advance. And I'm going to go. You're going to be in charge, and I'm going to check back here pretty quick. And if the charges exceed what it is that I paid you, we'll settle up later. Then Jesus turns to the attorney again. He says, who is it that loved this man? And the attorney, I kind of picture him through gritted teeth. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's a famous, famous parable, famous story that Jesus talked about, that he shared. And this morning I want to go through what is it that the Samaritan actually did, and I got quite a, quite a curveball for you that I'll save for a little bit later. But how is it that the Samaritan actually cared for the man that's bloodied on the side of the road? It's important to know, again, that the context of this whole story is the Great Commandment. This is a story, an illustration of the Great Commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. That is what this story is about. And so what, what the Samaritan did... We can get the slide up. Of, you can look at it progressionally. Loving God with everything that you have. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, 
and all of your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It's progressional. That the loving the man beaten on the side of the road was actually a result of him loving God with everything that he had. All of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But how was it that the Samaritan actually loved him? Breaking it down a little bit, I would say he loved him in at least four unique ways. The the Samaritan had margin. He stopped and he poured his own wine on the man's wounds, his own olive oil, put him on his own donkey, and used his own money. The Samaritan had margin. He had the time, he had the resources built up in order for this grand interruption. Perhaps the greatest differentiator that the Samaritan uh, illustrated was he gave the man attention. He actually stopped. It says, the text says that both the priest and the Levite saw the man, but they carried on. That, to me, I read it again this morning, is the most troublesome verse in that whole story. They saw the guy beaten up on the side of the road, and they didn't stop. They saw it. They said, nope. I have a really important meeting I got to get to. Sorry. Be blessed. The Samaritan gave attention. He stopped. The Samaritan also demonstrated great skill in what he did. He poured the he, he goes up to the guy and he says, buddy, we can't take you right now. You're bleeding out. If I load you up on the donkey right now, you're going to die. There's immediate critical work that has to happen right now. So we stopped, bandaged the man's wounds, took care of him, and then he transported him. Right? He took, put him on his own donkey and took him to the inn. And the last way that the Samaritan demonstrated incredible love and care is he engaged a team. He went up to the innkeeper. He says, we're going to do this together, you and I. This guy, he's not going to make it unless you and I join together. I'll take care of it. I'll pay. But I have things to do too, right? And I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go. You're in charge. This is what's going to need to happen. I'll pay in advance. But you and I together are going to create an environment for this man's healing. In a way that I like to remember this is M-A-S-T, MAST. Margin, attention, skill, and team. That these elements together saved a man's life. This is how the Samaritan demonstrated expertise care for the man beaten on the side of the road. But I don't think this is Jesus' main point here. This isn't the main illustration. And so far, this is any Good Samaritan message that you've heard before. But I want to remind you again what the context of this verse is or what this story is. It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is so much like it that it has to be included You love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's the big aha. 
is the Samaritan was able to do this for somebody else because he was doing this for himself. He is loving his neighbor as he loves himself. That's the rule. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it encourage us to love somebody else more than ourselves. In clinical terms, that's called codependency or enmeshment. In biblical terms, it's called idolatry. The only thing we are to love more than ourselves is God. The only thing I am to love more than myself is Him. But I love my neighbor as I love myself. The greatest barrier that I have towards loving you is my love for God and my love for myself. How well I love God and how well I love myself will express itself in my relationship with you. How well do I experience margin with myself, attention, skill, and team? And you can even approach these, these massive categories with each element of my heart, of my soul, of my mind, of my strength, my heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does margin look like for my heart? What does attention look like? What does skill look like for my heart? What does team look like for that element of me? Right? Think about this. If we are approaching the good Samaritan as us, we are the Samaritan and we are the man beaten on the side of the road. How well are we giving ourselves margin? It stands out to me, again, in such a heartbreaking fashion that the priest and the Levite, Levite saw and they just carried on. How many times do we do that to ourselves? I see misbehavior. I see triggering. I see sin in my life. And I just say, I am carrying on. I am not paying attention to that. We are moving on. We're going to sidestep me and just try to love somebody else. It doesn't work like that. We are the tools that God is asking to be used in order to love and care for our neighbor. So what does that look like, to love God with all of my heart? Well, for me, this is the part I don't like to talk about, is I've got a tough past that I'd rather not think about ever again. I had childhood cancer. I lived in a hospital for a year. I watched all of my friends in that hospital wing die. I walked all of my friends to their death. I never went to the fourth or fifth grade and half a sixth grade. You know, when I tell people I never went to fourth or fifth grade, they kind of go, oh, yeah. Like, that makes sense to them, with their experience with me. Like, that completes the picture for me, Ryan. That's actually very helpful. But as I'm interacting with somebody, and they're telling me something that's hard, it is, it is almost reflexive for me to say, we have to move on, we can't go there. But that's not loving God with my whole heart now. Ryan, we have to go back there. We have to integrate that past into the current so that we can move into the future, so that you can better love somebody. As they tell you a tough story, Ryan, 
you get to say, well, tell me more about that. What's actually going on? What is it you're grieving? What is it you're fearful of? What is it you're anxious about? Because I've done that with myself. Because I've done that with myself, where I'm saying yes to that, I get to offer that experience with somebody else. Loving the Lord my God with all of my mind, what does that mean? This is what it looks like for me. For me, one of the most important reasons to be reading my Bible so regularly is to know what God sounds like. What does he actually sound like? What is his tone? When, I'm, when I was sitting in church 20 years ago, and he was convicting me rather heavily about my non-love for him, that could easily be interpreted as shame and I could get defensive. But I could say, nope, he's allowed to tell me hard things. And that's actually an expression of love. That's actually an expression of love. He can tell me hard things. But it is not shameful or condemning. Right? And so to adopt his tone, to be so exposed to what is it that God actually sounds like, so then my self-talk can, sound, can, can, can adopt his tone. Do I talk to myself that way? Or do I say things to myself that I would never in a million years say to somebody else? That is not the tone of God. Right? So do I actually love myself with what's going on in here? Do I love him with my, all of my soul? Do I love him with all of my strength, which is my body? And so many of us experience shame when we think about loving God with our body. But again, that's not the voice and not the tone of God. He is not shameful or condemning. He will, he will tell us hard things, but he will not be shameful. So loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Pete Scazzaro says this, without a loving relationship with yourself, you end up scraping from others what you are not giving yourself. But if you are nourished at your own table, you do not need so desperately to be fed by somebody else. You can be free and open and available to that person. Dr. Les Parrott says this, if you enter into a relationship without being whole or pursuing wholeness on your own, all of your relationships will be an, an attempt to complete yourself. Tough news, but they're all saying the same thing. The great commandment actually matters. That you have to take yourself very seriously, because God does. And you are the expression, the tool, that God wants to use to connect with your neighbor. I have some observations, some other observations about the great commandment and this story that Jesus shares. This is so rich, so powerful. I'm just astounded, again, the older I get, the more I love the parables and the stories of Jesus. Like, I get them, and yet I don't. Right? That I know this story. I've known this story my whole life. My kids know this story. They can teach this story. And yet there's still such rich teaching and learning for, for the rest of us. And I want to leave you with some observations about the Great Commandment and the Good Samaritan. The first one is this. It is okay to test Jesus. That is the context of this parable. 
It is okay to test Jesus. But know this. Jesus will turn around and test you. It's okay to wrestle with God. It is modeled throughout the Bible. This raw authenticity of me actually telling God where I'm at. Where I'm actually saying, you know, I'm involved in your classes, your church, your groups. I serve, I volunteer, and yet it's not working. What's going on here? You can have that conversation with him. He's not going to be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I had no idea that you were this far out of left field. That is not, he's going to say, finally, we can get real. Let's have that talk. You can do that. That is, that is the, the, the Bible is bloody. You can get bloody with him. The, the attorney that went up to Jesus had a real question. What is this really about? And he was halfway there, but he got defensive. He tapped out. And Jesus, this is, this is my experience with him. I went questioning God. Are you really the bread of life? Will you really satisfy this thing that's missing in my heart? And he looked at me and he said, are you really going to love me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, only the faithful obey and only the obedient have faith. It's a symbiotic relationship, but you got to try. Only the faithful obey and only the obedient have faith. You got to try. And it's okay to get bloody in your relationship with him. It's okay to test Jesus, but just know that he will turn around and test you. And that's a good thing. Another observation I want to bother you with is titles do not mean that you have a vibrant internal life. Right? The attorney was revealing his hand with wanting to justify himself. In Jesus' story, it's a priest and a Levite that are no good. It's a despised Samaritan. The Samaritan was the one with the vibrant internal life. Titles don't mean that you have a vibrant internal life. God does not respect a title. There are no shortcuts to having a rich, vibrant internal life. Another point is you can't give away what you don't actually have. You can't give away what you don't have. In this story, it's the Samaritan who stopped and he used his own wine, he used his own oil, he used his own donkey, and he used his own cash to pay for this man's healing. He actually had it. 20 years ago, I'm, I'm trying, and I'm trying. I'm not faking it. I'm not broadcasting, you know, this internal crisis that I have. This, this, this I'm not sure this is actually it. I can't broadcast that. There's, there's places where I can talk about this, but I don't want to shipwreck somebody else's faith. But there are places where you can talk about not quite being sure about this. I was on the scale, and Jesus told me, yeah, you don't, you don't wait. You don't measure up here, buddy which is something that I already knew. So that feedback was very helpful for me. And the good news of Christianity is you don't have to. You don't have to measure up. 
you have somebody else who will measure up for you, and his name is Jesus. But you can't give away what you don't actually have. I would paint this picture for you. If I started counting my calories, if I started eating better, eating less, and moving more, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to become even more unbearably good-looking than what I am right now. <laughs> it's going to be too much. Too much for people to handle. They won't even hear me at that point. Right? A lag measure will be physical health. All you see is the expression of the internal life. It's the same thing in this story. That the Samaritan was already set up. He was all ready to go. He just had an opportunity. The victory was already won for the man beaten on the side of the road because somebody was actually living it. And the priest and the Levite were not it. It was the Samaritan who had a rich internal life that had margin for himself. He had attention for himself, skill, and engaged a team so that he can provide this expertise, care, and support for somebody else. The victory was already won before the man was even robbed. It's to be the same thing with us and his church. We are to have this rich, obedient, vibrant life that is incredibly real and authentic and raw so that we can share that with somebody else. The real human experience that we can share with somebody else. And again, I would, I would point this out. Right order matters. This is the point. This is the illustration of the story. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is foundational. There are no shortcuts. Church won't fill it. I can't fill that for you. I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty awesome, and so are you. And you can't fill it for me. We are, we are not designed to fill that. And so when we put that expectation on somebody else, they are designed to fail that test. I am designed to fail that test. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to love somebody else more than yourself. That is reserved for God alone. I've said that already. Love him with all of your heart, all of your emotional life, all of your thought life, all of your spiritual life, and all of your body, and your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to invite Andy in the band, or that's Lauren. <laughs> Andy and Lauren back here. And I just want to say again, the victory was already won before the fight even started before the opportunity even started. My prayer is that for you, that you don't take shortcuts, and let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much. God, I thank you for Jason and the opportunity for him to pinch it for his buddy and the getaway that he and Heather are able to have. God, would you richly bless them? Would you help them be one as you are one? God, I pray for fun, refreshment, fresh air. Lord, for this wonderful story, this illustration 
this expression of loving our neighbor as ourself. God, would you, in your loving kindness, just show us where we are taking shortcuts or putting unhealthy expectations on somebody else to fill that void for us. Lord, would you fill us with you? Fill us with you. Lord, and show us and remind us when we are settling for an imitation. Lord, and all of this is to be available for people that aren't quite here yet. Lord, would they experience an overflow of readiness of your church who is not taking shortcuts, who are loving you, loving themselves, and ready for whoever you might bring before us. Lord, we pray all of this in your good name. Amen.